Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where two friends get together and talk about the story behind the matches. I'm Matt. And I'm Michael. Welcome to episode 60. Halloween Havoc 1991. An evening of terrifying destruction. Welcome to, what, Halloween Havoc 3? We don't number things here. Not in WCW land, but it's the the third one. It is the third annual Havoc that was produced by the WCW. It took place on October 27th, 1991 at the UTC Arena in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And the attendance for the show was 8,900 people. They packed him in there. I think that's like basically capacity. It's a good good looking crowd. I think it was a sold out show, definitely. I mean, this is about 9,000 is about WCW's sweet spot. If, yeah. If they, if they can get 9,000, that's a pretty good show for them. So Also, like, can you imagine there being an arena bigger than, you know, 9,000 people in Chattanooga, Tennessee Chattanooga. in 1990, in the early 90s? You uh, might have to have the show at the football stadium to have any more than that. <laughs> Which is still probably what fits probably like 20,000. Probably. But other things that were around the time of this show, first a sad note, Gene Roddenberry would die a few days prior. Boo. When did Next Generation start? Next Generation it, started did it start? in 89? 88. Oh, really? It was late 80s. Yeah, it was late 80s. So I always like, I'm always like, yeah, start, it was started in the early 90s. But it's one of those things, all decades, like 19, like, 89 and 1992 were still like kind of the kind of the 80s. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's always like the transit like transition years. I'm, I'm assuming Next Generation is your your favorite track. As a no, because I've only never watched all of it. I watched I would watch it a little bit as on TV as a kid, but like I like sci-fi where things happened because when you're a child, like the stories of Next Generation are really not going to get you going. But I always thought Data was cool. I had a really cool Data t-shirt that was like way too big for me that I wore pretty often. And by the time, was it the Generations movie with Kirk and Picard? Yeah. I saw that in the theater and I thought it was the coolest thing that ever happened. (laughs) Because I just like, you know, science fiction, anything. I have always wanted to go back and watch Next Generation, but there's just so much of it. I know that you've watched it like in the craziest way. You did the anti-binge watch of it technically yeah, right i i technically did the anti-binge i i, I don't i don't i'm not a binger really yeah I'm, i mean you can watch a couple two three episodes at a time but after that i'm just kind of like i need something else i need cleanse the palate yeah and it's not a thing. show where it's like like television now everything's storytelling so like every episode is a cliffhanger to like tell a larger story where it's next generation is it's very each episode was yeah it's, a, it's episodic which is like i've watched the original the original Star Trek, uh, and uh, I love that, but it's also really short. It's like three seasons, so it's yeah, like so more. It's less a, less of an on like a 
of a hurdle. And I remember I watched a couple of years ago, I watched the pilot for Next Generation and I was like, just not in the mood right now. Granted, it's not the greatest pilot. No, the pilot for Next Generation <laughs> is pretty dot. You, you definitely have to be a Star Trek fan to be like, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. But no, uh, growing, growing up for me, Next Generation came on Sunday nights at like 1030. And so it was like the one night that I would like get my parents to let me stay up. Oh, okay. so I could watch Next Generation. Yeah, I remember so, catching it on TV all the time, but like just kind of walking by the TV. So that was I watched most of that show, you know, when it aired. But I have gone back, as you were mentioning. I actually started listening to. I'm gonna give a shout out to another podcast, Mission Log. They cover each episode of Star Trek, starting with the original series. They covered the animated series, Next Generation. I'm on Deep Space Nine, but I and I believe they're I'm a, about a year behind at this point. So, but they've also moved ahead uh, with Mission Log Live, and they're actually talking about Discovery and Picard oh, yeah. as well. So, I, and I've actually watched some of Discovery. I, I'm about halfway through the first season, and it isn't an episodic um, like each episode's not a single episode. It is a very much a ongoing storyline yeah i've heard about it and i've never heard anything good about it but i've heard about it that it's more of like an action thing well i watched the like the first two episodes are kind of like a almost a prequel and then episode three is the pilot because like the entire cast basically change changes in episode three. Oh, that's wild i think i remember hearing that so but the first two episodes of discovery are like cinematic like yeah it should, it should have been a movie almost i'm a big follower of uh red letter media on youtube and two of those guys are big star trek fans so they've covered the discovery stuff and i've watched them talk about it but i don't just because i like them i don't give a shit about discovery but they've uh they've dug into it pretty hard but they're pretty traditional when it comes to their star trek fandom i totally get it because i mean like, like i said i'm on deep space nine and I've gotten bogged down in Deep Space Nine a little bit because I'm it's not, nice. I'm not yeah. enjoying it as much as I did Next Generation. Because it's the overarching thing. It's it's not does it, that show doesn't have to be Star Trek. It could be it just goes, a space it show. Goes, it goes back and forth between episodic and then ongoing arcs, yeah, kind of thing. So I, I like literally that first season of Deep Space Nine. I was like, I don't know about this show because I, I just like literally didn't like anybody other than the engineer and the engineer came from next generation so that's the only reason i liked him oh yeah you're like yeah it's it's more along the lines of some of like it's kind of the outline for what battlestar galactic ended up being right in a way i thought, I thought battlestar galactic was great all oh uh it i it what i watched of it was great and i only stopped watching it because i was too busy and i knew that i would neglect all the things in my life if i kept watching it <laughs> So I was like, all right, I don't have time for this right now. I'll get back to it one day. And then I just stopped. And it had been, I think it was either over or getting close to ending, but it was kind of like earlier Netflix days and it was on there. I watched it. I actually, my way of binging basically, because like Sci-Fi Channel like showed like all of them, like tw two a week up until the final season started. And so that's how I caught up on that show. I didn't watch it on Netflix. I shot, saw it on Sci-Fi and so I would watch two episodes a week, basically, and was able to watch it all in like 
six months or something like that. And so that's a solid way to do it. Yeah. Well, that was probably enough space talk. We got to get spooky. R.I.P. Gene Roddenberry. Yeah, definitely. But enough about Gene Roddenberry. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk some Halloween Havoc. First, we get some spooky music on the animation of a graveyard, the old farmhouse with ghostly pictures of the competitors for the evening. And then the logo comes on the screen. Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone welcome us to the show. I liked that the it was like the same house from the last like computer animation. Did you pop? I, th- I think it, I think it literally was the same exact opening. <laughs> yeah, and then like I know I think the the like ghostly wrestlers were a little bit animation was a little different. But did you pop for any of these uh, ghostly wrestlers? There was one that surprised me. Which one surprised you? Abby Abdullah the Butcher. Oh yeah. Like, what is he doing here? That's crazy. I mean, I know that I'm not going to see Abdul the Butcher in WWF in 1991, but I wasn't, you know, he just hadn't been on the mind in a while. That's very true. He has not <laughs> been on the mind. For we will probably only watch like two or three Abby matches doing all of this. So Tony tells us that Barry Windham was attacked earlier in the day and will be unable to compete. He then throws it to a video where we see Eric Bischoff outside the arena. And we see Cactus Jack and Abdul the Butcher arrive in a car. And Eric's to talk about the WCW Phantom. And who is <sighs> Grown. My first thought was, oh, Barry Windham is hurt, so he won't be here. So maybe he's the Phantom. That was my initial thought. Because, you know, they're not particularly subtle most of the time. That's actually uh, not a horrible, horrible thought. Well, it was really funny to see Abby in like Dockers and like a T-shirt. Like he was just dressed like he was going to have a picnic with his family. And I thought that was really weird. The Diamond Stud and DDP then show up. Eric tells us that Brian Pillman has a championship opportunity on this show. Did that get you a little pop? Yeah, of course. I feel like was Pillman, Pillman was kind of hurt pretty recently, right? In the war games, that's when Sid like decided to power bomb him twice. And oh, it looked yeah, like it killed yeah. him. Yeah, because the war games was the one where he like really kind of had his breakout moment, and yeah. then we haven't seen him. But old his Yellow old dog. Yeah, that was a bad fuck. That was a bad idea. The uh, the old ex tag partner, the Z Man, has been really really showing up lately okay. and in, entertaining in his absence. But more Z Man and Pillman action is something I'll never turn down. Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes then pull up in their vehicle. And as Barry is getting out of the car, Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco run in and slam the car door on Windham's hand. <laughs> yep. To cover up uh, a previous existing injury. Absolutely. He like broke his wrist on a house show, like doing a bulldog or something like yeah. a couple of days beforehand. Correct. Rhodes then gets gets Barry back in the car, and they drive off towards the hospital. Still a hospital, guys. It is still a hospital here. But then we go back to the ring for our first match. <sighs> El Gigante, mm-hmm. the Steiner brothers of Rick and Scott, and Sting versus Big Van Vader, Diamond Stud, Cactus Jack, and Abdullah the Butcher in a Chamber of Horrors cage match. 
Uh, and Matthew, before we get any further, can you explain to me what a Chamber of Horrors cage match is? It's a big cage. It's mm. the it's the Thunderdome cage. Yeah, the one where the they, top of it is kind of uh, kind like slanted. slants in. Yeah, the eight people that are in the match they do their thing, and then after a few minutes, just a few minutes, cage, no real time commitment here. I literally at some point. At some point. At some point. <laughs> they don't give a time frame at no. all. No. After everybody looks sufficiently like half beat up. Another cage lowers down. So you're telling with, me we've got a cage inside of a cage match. With an electric chair oh my God. inside the second cage that is hooked up to a big power lever Let's on twitch, the side. Uh... Of the first cage. Of the yeah, big Fra- cage. Frankenstein style. Big ol' lever. And basically, when someone's sitting in that chair, you pull the lever, it electrocutes them, and that, whoever, win? Whoever, whoever's not in the chair wins. You win, they die? Exactly. <laughs> so did you know who was going to end up in that chair as soon as it started? I mean, there was a couple options. That- <laughs> there, was, there was two options. <laughs> For sure. But... Let's talk about the stage as well before we get going. Okay. I've got the stage is a big scary house. It looks uh-huh. kind of like the house that was in the animation and basically everyone has to come onto the stage through the front door of the house. Yeah, that's fun. And they do the they have the tombstones. The yeah, headstones the up again. all lined up. Although I was like trying to read them throughout the show and I don't remember any of them because none of them had anything particularly funny. Back in the day, they used to have, or like in the last couple of shows, they'd always have something like kind of funny and tongue in cheek on them. But I didn't really catch one on this one. I I didn't catch anything of particular. Of note, no, yeah. Which I was bummed about because those are kind of fun. And then the announcer, as as they're coming out to the ring. You mean Gary Michael Capetta? Yes. He doesn't announce the teams together. He would announce, he like announced El Gigante. Yeah. And then he announced like the entire other team. <laughs> yes. And then finally the Steiners and Sting. Yeah. It was, it was just like. I thought it was like, so you're going back and forth. Okay, weird. But I mean, why not? I, had I mean, no it's an attempt to on. get El Gigante over, I guess. But no, wouldn't you want him to have him out last then? Exactly. You yeah. would want him to come out last, but for, he was first. So it yeah. was like, okay, cool. And my, I look at how stacked this is. Like El Gigante gets a pass because he's seven feet tall and they're just trying to get him over. But you got the hottest tag team on the planet. You've got your best baby face, and also the United States heavyweight champion. Yeah, there you go. Steve. So he's obviously building him up for the big for the big one. Because it's... Luger Luger had won the world title at mm-hmm. the last pay per view, so he had vacated the U.S. belt. So a you got to put it on Sting. A tournament was held. And Sting would beat Stunning Steve Austin in the final for that championship. Oh, I'd like to watch that match. Now you got Vader, who's obviously awesome and impressive. He's got his cool mask. Cactus Jack, who's going to be there to bleed for you. He, of course, he's not the star that he's going to become. But And then Diamond Stud, who's obviously not the star that, star that he's going to become. And then Abdullah Butcher is you know, there to bleed. He's not a worker. He's a personality. You look at, you look at Abby wrong, and he bleeds. <laughs> yeah. The... But, like, first match, cage match. So this is basically the main event. Shouldn't this be the main event? 
it probably I mean, has to do with the way that they had to, to how they had to set it up and everything. They probably needed extra time. It, it's the same. Yeah. It's the same reason why we kind of complained that the wedding was at the end of SummerSlam last week. Yeah, I kind of liked it at the to, end, but it didn't make sense. The way they have to set the stage and the ring up and everything, if they it have to a, put yeah. it at a certain time. With your stupid electric chair, Jesus Christ. I can't believe I'm saying it. But, yeah, it's like so crazy, the talent in here and what it is used, wasted, maybe on. But we'll get into that probably about now, I'd imagine. Well, first of all, this is the first time we've seen Abdul the Butcher since Starcade 1985, which was episode six. Ah, the famous sombrero on a pole match? Good call. Good call. <laughs> do you think, uh, how do you think Russo found out about putting things on a pole matches? There's no way he went back and, you know, there you go. Good answer. Never mind. I was going to say, there's no way he went back and actually watched tape. The man has no respect for wrestling. No, he has no respect. <laughs> no, not at all. So it's like, who told him about the po- uh, on a pole match? I mean, I, I guess obviously one of the, an older guy. Sombrero I mean, on a Jim- pole sounds like about as bad as any of Russo's late WCW ideas. <laughs> Pretty much. But this match gets going. Cactus Jack and Abdullah attack Sting on the rampway before he has even made it into the cage. Rick comes out to help. Scott hits a tiger driver on stud in the ring. And Gigante lays out Vader. Everyone finally makes it into the cage, and Sting uses the Butcher's voodoo head doll stick on all of them. <laughs> uh, also, Rick Steiner picks up a chainsaw uh, at the beginning of the match on the outside of the cage, and then like kind of looks around, realizes he can't do anything with it, and sets it down. <laughs> Which is really funny, because there's like a bunch of weapons. Cactus Jack came down to the ring with Oh, that. with the chainsaw, and the then chainsaw. Rick Steiner picked it up. Okay, yeah. but I just remember Rick picking it up and like, just kind of realizing, like, well, I can't do anything with this. And then putting it down and making his way to the ring. We see a, a casket in a couple of the corners. And mm-hmm. then we go to, like, a fishbowl lens camera view that they that is a camera on Nick Patrick, the referee. Which oh, are you talking about the, the refer eye? And then all of a sudden, someone comes out of one of the caskets in a mask. And Scott Steiner body slams him. They it's never fun. tell us. I'm going to tell you right now, they never tell us who or why these people in masks are in these caskets. Because because uh, it's spooky. Because ghouls. Is it a horror in this yeah. chamber? It's the chamber of uh, horrors. It's the Thunderdome of chambers of the Thunderdome of chamber of horrors. Sting with a drop kick and a clothesline to send Vader over the top rope, followed by a plancha to the floor. Rick has Cactus Jack up in an electric chair not the one that's in the cage but like no. up on his shoulders yeah yeah when scott hits a top rope ddt as the chair of torture comes down into the ring so literally oh, we'd be going uh, what what do we be going like three minutes at this point and all yeah of a it's like are they is this gonna be all this pomp and circumstance for an eight minute match i was like what are we doing here like i was like this is already coming down so the steiners have just hit cactus jack with this top rope ddt and Cactus Jack is like laying in the middle of the ring. Mm-hmm. This cage with the the electric chair is coming down. Oh yeah! And all of a sudden they have to kind of go, "Hey Jack, you yeah. need to get out of the way." Out of the way, yeah. Don't get fucking smashed. smashed. <laughs> yeah. It's like you know he was just trying to milk it because he's a wild man, but it's like, come on, dog, you got to move. Because the 
cage of the electric chair literally takes up 90% of the, of the ring. You can't do like, wrestling moves you, anymore. You can touch the cage and the rope at the same time. Yeah, WCW rings are a little smaller than WWF ones anyway, but even if it was a WWF ring, you'd still be able to do that. And you just can't do, it takes up too much room. You can't do any like anything off the ropes. You're basically stuck between the ropes in the cage and between the ropes and the cage. (laughs) At this point, when this cage landed into the middle of the ring, I literally wrote, what the fuck am I watching? (laughs) Yeah, my notes basically say, like, in parentheses, fuck. Another couple sentences of, like, a guy punching somebody, and then parentheses, Jesus. (laughs) So we get a double chokehold by Gigante. Vader places Rick on the chair, but Steiner fights back with a Steiner line to send Vader over the ropes to the floor. Sting picks up a casket door, throws it onto Cactus Jack. That was horrific. All of a sudden, a crew of gentlemen with a stretcher all dressed in white scrubs walk down the rampway. Yeah, they look like hospital orderlies, but they have white makeup on their face. Ghostly order. <laughs> yeah, I guess the, ooh, they're just waiting to take out the the. This is a kill a man match, and they're waiting to take. I guess the stretchers for the man that's going to be murdered. So they could have just been like regular guys. Cactus Jack tries to head slam Rick into the cage, but is blocked and reversed by Steiner. Scott's using a kendo stick on Vader inside the ring, on Cactus Jack on the outside, and Jack is busted open. Vader you can uses... almost see him blade on camera. <laughs> but that's not too uncommon for a WCW match. Vader uses the sharp end of a broken kendo stick to Gigante's gut. Sting and Jack climb in the cage when the Stinger grabs Cactus's head and slams it into the cage multiple times. The masked man is now handcuffed to the cage. Sting drags Cactus Jack into the ring before throwing him over the ropes face first into the cage. We see Stud and Sting brawling inside the ring. Rick's using a kendo stick on Abdullah. Stud has gotten the Stinger into the chair, but Scott is there to help fight off the Stud and Vader for Sting to escape. Sting is choking the Butcher with a kendo stick. Rick hits him over the head with one as well, and Abdullah is busted open. So they at least hit him with a kendo stick to bust him open. Yeah, and he wasn't the first to blade. So that's surprising already. Everyone's brawling on the outside. Butcher's using an object to stab Sting to bust him open. Could you tell what this object was? Was, was it, it was one it of his fork? fork screws? Yeah. Fork? Yeah, I always think that it's a fork like wrapped in tape, but I don't know. Rick's choking Jack with a kendo stick, then uses it on Abdullah to get him off the stinger. Stud's trying to get Scott into the chair as Cactus Jack begins to climb the cage toward the switch. But Rick, with a low blow, saves his brother. We get more brawling, Rick and the Butcher right in front of the chair cage door, but this time it's Scott that makes the save. Abdullah is brawling with Rick again, getting him into the chair this time, and Jack again is climbing his way towards the switch box. Yells out, bang bang! (laughs) And stays there for a while. But at the last second, Rick grabs the Butcher with a belly-to-belly suplex to set him in the chair, straps him in right as Cactus Jack pulls the lever. Pyro starts going off. It's pretty bananas. I was like really surprised by the amount of pyro here. There's flames in the middle of the ring. Is Butcher dead? He's selling it like he is, but 
you know what's kind of wild is that the cap that you put on your head yeah or that somebody would put on your head if they were to uh, electrocute you put you to death put you in the chair it's not even touching his head it's like floating like five inches above it or more is <laughs> his head but abby sells it pretty good and it looks it's a hell of a spectacle it looks cool so for as stupid are... as it is it looks cool i'll give it that much yeah the winners of the match are El Gigante, the Steiner Brothers, and Sting. Post-match, the cage begins to lift, and Abdullah has yet to move. Jack goes to check on the butcher, and all of a sudden, Abdullah wakes up and just starts going crazy on everybody. Oh, yeah. His buddy electrocuted him. Plus, you know, he just got electrocuted. Also, how is he alive? Exactly. <laughs> Tony then has a great line. Well, I guess when he opened his eyes, he thought he was in heaven and knew he shouldn't be there. <laughs> yes, that is quite the line, and I love it. Also, the I'm pretty sure that the throughout the match, the like lever keeps like falling down. Does it really? Yeah, it's like not. It's it is not well there together. Like I think even when Cactus pulls it, it's already like in the off position or whatever. <laughs> because they just couldn't get it to work. But like, yeah, you can kind of notice it. I wouldn't say it's worth it to go back uh, no. for that. Just take I, my I word will, for it. I will not be going back yeah. and watching this at all. The other thing I'd like to say is that the st- when Sting drops, because th- these caskets are like your typical like oblong, like the sharp cornered caskets you'd see in like a really old horror movie, like from like the 50s or something, yeah. or like a old like an old Western. And they look heavy, but when Sting takes that lid off and drops it on Cactus Jack's head, it makes the most horrendous fucking sound. It's like, it sounds like he just got, you know, like (laughs) a sheet of two by fours dropped on his head. And that might've been my only pop of that whole match (laughs) in my living room when I was watching it was just being like, ah, Cactus Jack, what I know about CTE now, (laughs) like is hard. And just that sound of like somebody getting hit on the head with, a piece of wood. So I have the question. Is this opening match better or worse mm-hmm. than the scaffold match that we saw at Great American Bash? The the not the Jim Cornette one. No, not, the cap not, the cap the, the cap the, the, the most one. recent one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is way better. This is way better because it's stupid. It's just so crazy. It's stupid. It's funny. And the spectacle of the firework usage and like there's like flames in it goes on for a while, and Abby goes crazy selling it. But for that moment alone, it is better than the scaffold match. I agree. Moving on, we go to the back where Bischoff is now dressed as a vampire and Missy Hyatt as a playboy bunny. Thank you, I Missy. Mean, yeah, totally. And uh, that, why not a Dracula? That's good for old Eric Bischoff. He's got he the dark a, hair. He's a soul sucker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Eric is still wondering who the Phantom is, but Missy seems to know. And then the young pistols come strolling in, and they don't give a hootin' nor a heck who the Phantom is. But Smothers then says, We made our challenge to the Patriots, but we wonder if they are red, white, and blue, or just plain yellow. And, yeah. then, and then Armstrong chimes in with, Take a gander at the new sons of the South baptized on a hundred proof and raised by the blood of the lamb pretty decent he probably should have been the one to cut the, pro- the other half of the promo too 
And then we go to our second match, the creatures of Creature 1 and 2 mm. versus PN News and Big Josh. What is it? Go Go Baby or Yo Baby? Yo Baby? Yeah. So the yo creatures, because I know you're wondering who the creatures are, because they were two eh. guys with masks. Mm. They're Joey Mags and Johnny Rich. And if you don't know who they are, neither do I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you know who they are... Good for you. Yeah, maybe know. Yeah, maybe history X at gmail.com. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe chill on the wrestling for a little bit. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> PN does his rap master gimmick for us. And yo, baby, it, yo. It was as bad as you would expect it to be. Well, he tried. You give him credit for that. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just saying. And then uh, we see Christine Valver, who's WCW Magazine's PN News Rap Contest winner in the crowd. Did she win? Did she write a rap? Did she send in a like a talk back like cassette tape of her rapping? You think they explained what the contest was? Come on, no. I don't think the contest was real. I don't, I don't think, think so any of these either. contests have ever been real. But we'll give a we'll give a round of applause to Christine for being in the crowd. Josh uses his power early on, but Creature One with a flurry of fists. Creature Two comes in with an Irish whip and goes for a second, but is reversed. And then Josh whips P and News into the corner with an avalanche splash. Creature One comes in to receive an atomic drop right into P and News's gut to knock him down. News with a drop kick tosses Creature One into the ropes, but ducks his head, allowing Creature to kick him. Quick tags by the creatures. One is trying to Irish whip P and News, but he's not strong enough. So News reverses it into a toss of his own, and Creature One just runs into P in to be knocked down. Josh goes to the top rope, coming off with an axe handle to Creature 2, then grabs Creature 1, hitting a release German suplex. Creature 2 comes from behind to rake the eyes of Big Josh, allowing Creature 1 to get back on the attack, but Josh reverses it into a back body drop. PN News with a headbutt, back suplex, Irish whip, charges in with an avalanche splash, but Creature 1 moves. Josh throws Creature 1 into his own corner, so he's able to make a tag, but Big Josh just grabs two as he enters to hit a belly-to-belly suplex. Creature 2 drives Josh towards his corner, one with a back rake, a headbutt to the gut, chops, but Big Josh has had enough, grabs two, and power bombs him. Chopping away, hits the northern exposure, which is his butt splash. Yeah, I mean, was that show on, that show was on TV at the time, so that's kind of funny. He then tags in PN News, who comes off the top rope with the rap splash for the pin and the and win. The win. <sighs> Sorry, I didn't have a lot to weigh in there with. Josh had a couple good moves there. I, yeah, yeah. The release German and the release belly German belly. was great. And also, I know you know this. Rap splash. Did... Unless, as long as Hulk Hogan's not doing it, I love a back scratch. <laughs> I think that they're they're funny, and I know that no matter how big you are, if somebody does that to you and like really digs in, you're gonna react just like that. Be like, ah, you're gonna come back pretty quick. But it's just like such a a scummy and weird thing to do to somebody that I always get a kick out of it. And we're headed off to our third match: Bobby (laughs) Eaton versus the computerized man of the 1990s, Terrence Taylor, with Alexandria York. Hell yeah, I'm all about the york family i think it's very funny 
York and Taylor go over some last minute notes before the bell rings. And then the two men lock up for a while to start before Terrence hits multiple hip tosses. But then Eaton fires back with a pair of hip tosses of his own, followed by a clothesline. Taylor throws Bob to the floor, then tosses him into the guardrail, goes to throw a roundhouse right, but Eaton back body drops him over the railing. Back in the ring, Terrence tries for a cheap shot, but beautiful Bobby catches the foot, spins him around to hit a big right hand to knock Taylor down. Eaton goes to the hammerlock, wearing down Terrence, but Taylor hits a jawbreaker to escape and then pushes Bobby out to the rampway. Terrence goes for another roundhouse right, but Eaton ducks and catches him with an atomic drop and a body slam all on the rampway before going to the top rope, coming off with a knee drop. And I love that he sells the little leg shake. After punching Taylor back into the ring, Terrence grabs the tights of Bobby to send him flying through the ropes to the outside. Taylor runs Eaton into the turnbuckle when Bobby makes his way back to the apron, then hits a running knee to the back of Eaton to send him flying into the guardrail. Clothesline on the floor by Terrence goes over to receive some notes from York while Eaton makes his way back into the ring, where Taylor Irish whips him to the corner and follows with a clothesline and a knee drop. Beautiful Bobby starts fighting back, but Terrence just throws him through the ropes to the rampway, follows out after him, and hits a gut-wrench sit-out powerbomb. <laughs> it looks incredible. Uh, have we seen any how, any gut-wrench sit-out powerbombs yet? It was the Dr. Bomb. It was Steve Williams. Oh, yeah. He used to do that move. It was his big move, but we yeah. haven't seen one in a long time. No, and even then, like... If you talk to Jr. about it, Dr. Death Steve Williams never got his time in the sun. He, he was underappreciated completely. Yeah, he, he, I'm not saying he wasn't, but uh, <laughs> Jr. thinks it's worse than the Holocaust. Eaton makes his way back into the ring where Taylor continues the attack with knees to the back, a body slam, and goes to the top rope, coming off with a splash for a two count. Terrence locks on the dreaded reverse chin lock, but beautiful Bobby fires back with right hands, but a knee to the gut sends Eaton to the floor. Bobby makes his way to the apron, gets a sh couple shots in, climbs up to the top rope, coming off with a sunset flip. Taylor's trying to grab the ropes to stay up, but the ref knocks the grip off, so Terrence is pulled over for a near fall. Is it the first time we've gotten three matches into a show and got our first uh, chin lock? <laughs> Potentially. Potentially, yeah. Because you said chin lock, and I was like, <gasps> oh my god. Taylor goes back on the offensive with a clothesline, more knee drops, and back to the reverse chin lock. Bobby escapes for a moment only for Terrence to lock a sleeper on, but Eaton escapes that with a jawbreaker and goes for a splash, but Taylor gets his knees up. Terrence goes for a second rope pump splash, but beautiful Bobby gets his knees up. Eaton with right hands, back body drop, mounted punches, but Taylor picks him up for an inverted atomic drop. But Bobby blocks and reverses into a vertical suplex for a two count. Taylor then reverses an Irish whip and ducks his head, allowing Eaton to hit a swinging neckbreaker. He then goes to the top rope, but Terrence is up and hits the ropes causing beautiful Bobby to crotch himself. No, I don't like that. Leave Bobby's, leave Bobby's, little Bobby's alone. Taylor then climbs up on the ropes, trying for a superplex, but Eaton catches him with a right hand to knock him to the mat. And then 
Bobby comes off the top with the Alabama, Alabama Dam, Dam for the pin and, and the, the win. win. I love that in a match that has no story outside of like both of these guys probably going after the t- TV title. Like, you know, Bobby Eaton probably wants that back. And, you know, he's not going to be he's not going to get it back with losing matches. There's not really any story here, but I did love the him, his like comeback kind of like turning moment in a way, because this, you know, both guys, you know, Babyface works a little bit more underneath than the heel, but it's still pretty even. But the return of the jawbreaker to kind of set him up for his eventual win was was nice. Yeah, I love a jawbreaker. And it's like, oh, here's a little bit of your own medicine, sir. So I popped for that. I mean, uh, this is good shit. JR and Tony then preview the next match. And they let us know that it was supposed to be Michael P.S. Hayes, but he's injured. Mm. So his fellow Freebird is going to take his place. So our fourth match of Jimmy Jam Garvin with Michael P.S. Hayes versus Johnny B. Bad, Eddie Long. And it looks like the Freebirds have finally turned face, as you requested last time. <laughs> I mean, they, they're getting cheers. How can you not cheer them? As, they're, as they come out leading the crowd in an Atlanta Braves chop chant. Yeah. I mean, I assume that they're, I mean, they're close to Georgia, so there's probably a lot of Braves fans there anyway. Yeah, Tennessee, that's their closest major yeah. league baseball team. So. so We get some DDT chants start up as well. Oh, yeah. DDT. Garvin starts running the ropes, bad with multiple leapfrogs, and goes to hit a hip toss, but is countered by Jimmy Jam, which is countered by Johnny, which is countered by Garvin, to hip toss bad over the ropes and to the floor. You know, it's kind of funny. Remember when, not too long ago, the Freebirds were called the F-word? And now we've got Johnny B. Bad in here, just trying to get called the F-word, and it's still not happening. (laughs) And he's still looking like Little Richard? Oh, yeah. Yeah, rest in peace. He just passed away. Carbon date the episode maybe a couple days ago. Yeah, that's all. I just wanted to. I just wanted to point that out. I thought it was kind of funny. I mean, you know, that's not a nice word, and I don't take it lightly. But you know, for the, the situation is definitely uh, comedic in 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 hindsight. Hayes then hits a right hand to Johnny on the floor. Hey, wait a second. I thought his arm was injured. I think that maybe it's just Jimmy's turn to be in the be in the spotlight. Maybe so. I mean, it's not like Jimmy is a bad worker or anything. And I think this match really proves how underrated he is. Back in the ring, Johnny's running the ropes. Jimmy Jam with a power slam and hits a running forearm. And bad rolls to the outside to regroup. Garvin starts working on the arm of Johnny with an arm wrench, leg drop, arm bar, but Bad escapes with a rake of the eyes and begins choking him on the ropes. Johnny with a clothesline puts Garvin in a reverse chin lock, and Teddy Long jumps up to the apron to distract the ref, tossing a towel to Bad, who starts to choke Jimmy Jam with it. Johnny with a back body drop, Irish whip that is reversed, sending Bad to the corner, and Garvin charges right into a big boot and a clothesline. Johnny then Climbs the ladder, coming off with a sunset flip for a two count. Body slam and goes up to the top rope again to hit an elbow drop for a near fall. Is that the Johnny B. Bad sunset flip where he lands on his head? 
Yeah, it's like halfway across the oh. ring. Yeah, but he like totally botches it and it looks really scary. Like he goes through, but he does not land on his head right. And I think it comes up with a broken nose, like a bloody nose from it. <laughs> it's really, it is really a, like really scary. Like watching it, I thought that maybe like the match was going to have to end because the way his he landed on his head with that sunset, like it went through, but I was like, this man can't be alive. I had to rewind it a couple times just to see it because i was like wait wait that that wasn't right another body slam goes up top once again but is hit in the gut on his way down this time by jimmy jam garvin then slams johnny's head into the turnbuckle goes for an irish whip that is reversed and bad charges in with an elbow but jimmy jam moves and johnny goes flying over the ropes to the floor bad is slingshot back into the ring and garvin then goes <laughs> for an elbow drop but johnny moves tossing Jimmy Jam to the ropes. Both men go for a leapfrog, causing them to collide for a double KO. Fun stuff. Bad is up first and goes to throw a roundhouse left, but Garvin ducks, hits the DDT, and goes for the cover. But the ref is distracted by Long. Jimmy Jam then goes after Teddy, which allows Johnny to recover to hit the tutti-frutti left hook <laughs> for the pin and, and the win. win. Good little heel win, but I've, I really felt for Jimmy Garvin here. Post-match, Hayes lays out Teddy Long and starts yelling at Bad, telling the ref that Garvin's foot was on the rope. I didn't see if his foot was actually on the rope or not. Yeah, I don't know. But it I know that this match, is, this match is good. It's definitely one of the better matches of the, uh, of the show. Yeah, like another one where it's like, what's the point of this? But it was good. I really, yeah, really good. They were really... Like stiff and snug with some of these shots on each other. We then go to Missy Hyatt in the back, still looking for the Phantom when Bobby Eaton comes walking by. So with Missy a pumpkin. Stops him. He has a pumpkin in his hand for no reason. He says he's going to he's going to celebrate with his pumpkin after winning his match. What he should have done is come out with two pumpkins, and then it'd be a joke. I thought the exact same. <laughs> it's so obvious. It's like, why would he have a pumpkin? He's like not a spooky guy and it was just looked really silly it's like yeah why would this guy give a shit about halloween he's just a fucking really always have two melons he's yeah he's an alabama boy he needs he needed two gourds to match uh missy's gourds and then we get comedy we then go to our fifth match stunning steve austin with lady blossom versus dustin rhodes for the the tv title exactly the tv championship we don't call them titles here do we it's the World Television Championship. Yeah. So that means that it's there's a time limit on the match. That's correct. There's usually there's a 15-minute time limit on all World Television Championship matches. Yeah, which I love that concept. I mean, obviously the TV title exists, so they can have a belt where the where you know that the title can change on television. Exactly. And you need 15 minutes if it's going to be a TV match because, you know, it, you can't, you know, if you have an hour of TV or two hours of TV or whatever, like a 15 minute match is a good amount of time. So, you know, it it makes sense for there to be that stipulation. So I kind of really appreciate the whole concept of this title in general at the time, like of how it's being used now. Of course, there's TV title matches forever after this. I know in the WWF. I don't know if there was a time limit or whatever, but I think that the WCW one and other territories television championship was actually defunct by the time that WWF 
took over WCW. Oh, okay. So it never transferred over. There was I never mean, a the TV title on WWF? I guess that's no. kind of what the hardcore title was in a weird way. In NWA right now, they're doing on NWA Power. Oh, yeah. Uh, they've brought the television championship back. That's and cool. They're doing six minute and five second matches. Oh, that's fun. Because like that. NWA used to come on at 6.05. Back, that's funny. Back in the day. That's so goofy. I, I like it. I think it's a, it's a fun gimmick. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch Power. I assume it's not happening at the moment. You know, it seemed like a fun thing. Considering maybe I can go back and watch some Power. There's no New Japan happening. There's like 20 episodes. They're all pretty fun. Yeah. The champion comes out first. Foreshadowing? I know. I was like, hmm, all right. Looks like the TV title's going to move around a little bit. Match gets going with a big elbow to the head by Rhodes after some lockups by the two. Austin, with a double leg takedown, locks on a leg wrench, but Dustin reverses it into a single leg crab, but Steve makes it to the ropes. Shoulder blocked by Austin. Stunning Steve starts running the ropes. Leapfrogs Rhodes. Dustin hits a clothesline on Austin's way back before hitting a dropkick. Grandma Rhodes is shown in the crowd. Dustin's running the ropes, kicked by Austin, hits a side headlock takedown, but Rhodes reverses it into a head scissors. But Stunning Steve escapes quickly, only for Rhodes to take him down with a drop toe hold, and the two do some more mat wrestling. Yeah, this match starts really quick. It's really pretty even, and there's a lot of good, like, it's quick mat wrestling, but it's, yeah, and it's awesome. It's like, oh, I haven't seen any of this stuff in a while, and it's like, you know, everyone has a counter for the other guy, so nobody's in it for a long time. And it doesn't feel like nothing. It just it's like a a really good way to get the same tension of like, you know, your collar and elbow tie up where people keep like going in for one. and You don't get one. But like here, it's like, oh, no, they're just like so good. They're getting a feel for each other by reversing each other's like wrestling holds as opposed to just, you know, chin locks and <laughs> chin locks and clotheslines and chin locks and, you know, backdrops off the rope and crap like that. It's got some flavor. Everybody's working. Everybody's, I mean, you got two guys that know how to work, want to work, and in a, in a landscape with no Ric Flair, it's kind of potentially anybody's game. So I think that has probably a lot to do with it as well. Especially when you know that you've got more talent than some of the other guys on the card. Yeah. When you're hung when you're hungry and you're talented. Because not everybody that wrestles is Those a talented things. wrestler. They are just a wrestler. We get a shoulder blocked by Rhodes, who starts running the ropes, but Austin hits a hip toss, going for an elbow drop, but Dustin moves. Rhodes then goes for an O'Connor roll, but Steve holds onto the ropes, so Dustin hits a clothesline to send Austin to the floor. Is that when he goes over the top rope? Yep. I was, you know how terrified I was? You were probably very terrified. I was like, oh, no, no, no shit. Fuck. Because <laughs> you never know when it counts. And I was like, well, this is a really good place for it to count, but this is a really dumb place to do it. Like this early in the match. Back in the ring, stunning Steve with an elbow to the back of the neck, tosses Rhodes to the ropes, and goes for a back body drop. But Dustin floats over and grabs a headlock, which Austin reverses into a back suplex for a two count. 
Stunning Steve goes for another back body drop, but telegraphs it this time, so Rhodes with a knee to the head and goes for the bulldog, but Austin blocks it. We get a side headlock takedown by Dustin, but Steve keeps trying to roll him over into pin attempts. And we have 10 minutes remaining. I love that. They have a little roll around multi-pin attempt moment. Yes. It's good. Rhodes running the ropes, hits a crossbody for a two count, and then right back into the side headlock. But Austin reverses it into a head scissors, which then Dustin escapes and goes right back to the side headlock. Once they're back to their feet, Rhodes again running the ropes and again goes for a crossbody. But Stunning Steve ducks, so Dustin goes flying out to the floor. Ooh, it's nasty. Austin on the attack on the outside with right hands, busting Rhodes open. Slams his head on the apron. Steve then goes up to the top rope and comes off with a double axe handle to the floor. Back in the ring, Dustin starts firing back, but an irate keeps Austin in control. A gut-wrench suplex for a two-count by stunning Steve locks on another side headlock using leverage. And five minutes remain. Bum, bum, bum. This is good. And I'm like, who's it going to be? Because Steve hasn't had this for this long. We've seen this title move around already, and we know that Dustin Rhodes is the son of Dusty Rhodes. So that's always kind of in the back of your head. So I'm kind of really into this match. How soon are they going to put a belt on him? How soon are they going to do it? Yeah. Yeah. How soon is too soon? Well, when you're wrestling this well, you know, when you're this talented at like 21 or some shit, like how soon is too soon? The ref finally catches Austin's cheating ways, causing him to break the hold. Steve is arguing with him, allowing Rhodes to recover and throws some massive right hands. An Irish whip to the corner and follows in for a monkey flip. But Austin's too strong, so Dustin just crashes to the mat. And stunning Steve charges out with a clothesline for a near fall. Oh, love it. Four minutes remain. Austin with a body slam, but no. Rhodes cradles for a small package for a two count, but then Steve reverses into a small package of his own for a two count, which Dustin reverses into another two count. <sighs> Rhodes ducks a clothesline and then delivers one of his own for a near fall. Dustin tosses Austin to the ropes, goes for a drop kick, but stunning Steve hangs onto the ropes and then starts choking him across the same ropes. Lady Blossom then gets involved by slapping Rhodes many, many times. Three minutes remain. More choking, goes for a body guillotine, but Dustin moves for Austin to bounce off the ropes and into the mat. Yeah, that was kind of an unexpected spot. Rhodes with an atomic drop, a clothesline, goes for the cover, but Steve gets his boot on the rope. Dustin then throws Austin to the floor and runs his head into the ring post multiple times. Two minutes remain. Rhodes Steve's with a power busted slam. open as well. He is. Just saying. Rhodes with a power slam for a two count. Snapmare. Some punches. Tosses stunning Steve to the ropes. Does the dusty roll into the bionic elbow for the pin. And no! no! Austin kicks out. One minute remains. Huh, man. Mounted punches in the corner, which turns into elbows in the corner. A dusty roll into one more elbow. 30 seconds remain. Rhodes tosses Austin to the ropes, ducks his head, so stunning Steve leapfrogs him and turns to throw a punch. But Dustin blocks and delivers multiple right hands. 
before hitting a roundhouse right for a near fall. 15 seconds remain. Rhodes goes up to the top rope as the announcer starts the 10-second countdown, comes off to hit a flying clothesline, makes the cover, but Austin kicks out as time expires. And we have a time limit draw. I was going to say, should we try to do it? I'll be like, three, two. <laughs> you're, like zero, you're like zero on my two. But could you ask for more? I could have taken another 15 minutes of this. Yeah, but I mean, considering the stipulation, considering the title, outside of there being no story to tell, could you ask for more? Probably not. I'm going to let you know right now. I mean, come on. This is a fucking like four-star match. Yes. Easy. In my in my heart, I'm not a star man, but if I were to be a star man, like this was baseline four. This is the best match on the show. How could and it not a, be? How could it not time, be? It's the time limit draw, guys. Well, they, it's, it's time limit draw either goes like this, either happens like it happened here, or it both goes of way the guys too long, and or or it's both boring. the or both the guys are incredibly beat up, and the time runs out. It can't go any other way. And both of those things are compelling if they're done well. This here is a clinic on how to do how this. To, how to do a time limit draw. Yeah. And it's like they really, like they sold for each other. And in hindsight, if you had a, a Dustin Rhodes column and a Steve Austin column and you tallied out like moves against each other, I'm willing to... Th- Willing to say that it is, pr- and like pin attempts, it probably evens out pretty, pretty well. The, yeah, the multiple inside cradle pin attempt spot, it's always one of my favorite spots just oh, because yeah. it builds the tension even more. Yeah, exactly. And in a match that, like, there's a belt on the line, but that's the only tension. It's just created because these guys are great. Post-match, Dustin hits a drop kick to send Steve flying out of the ring, and the ref has to hold him back. And, like, we have three, I think, really good matches in a row, which is pretty crazy. And they're singles matches. Normally, WCW, we have, like, nothing but tag matches. And we have three singles matches, only one for a belt, and it's the TV belt. And they're all completely solid and, like, Good matches. All of the matches are good. One of them is great. And even like, yeah, I I just couldn't believe that I got three solid, like, watch, like, very watchable singles matches that I was into in a row this early on a WCW card. That's the thing so far about WCW here lately is that, like, the tag matches have been really, really good. And the single matches has just kind of been like, eh. Eh, yeah. But I think even these ones, like, the are Eaton Taylor. We'll save it for later, but yeah. like the middle of the show, or even, I guess it's kind of technically the beginning. I don't know. I was, uh, by the time this match ended, I was minus the chamber. I mean, of horrors. I mean the chamber horrors, at least Abdul, the butcher blew up, but like four, five matches into the show, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> like, like I'm having a blast here. Well, let's see if they can keep the momentum going for you. Uh, I mean, you know, can't win them all. We see an ad for Starcade 91, and it shows cards with pictures of wrestler being placed into the bowl, oh, and the man. full logo is shown. Yes. Battle Bowl. 
the lethal lottery. You know how stoked I am for this? Do you have any clue what it is? Uh, I know that they are trying to ruin Starcade, and I don't know if I can take it. Every year they just come up with some some new gimmick for Starcade. No, stop it. Let Starcade be Starcade. <laughs> Let Starcade be matches. But yeah, the what was it? The lethal lottery? Yeah. Yeah. Shut up. I don't like it. Do you have any any clue what the gimmick is? I imagine it's some kind of single elimination tournament that where names are drawn out of a fishbowl because there's a fucking fishbowl in the logo. I'm not going to tell you. It's just, yeah, it's that's fun. fine. It's fun to hear hear what you think it is. I feel like they may have told me, and I was just already like... In this ad, they do not I tell rolling. you what it is. They don't? Is. Okay. No. Well, you know what? It. I can't imagine that I'm going to love it. I don't know. I guess <laughs> we'll find out when we get to that show in a few yeah. weeks. I'm sure... Uh, I'm, I'm interested. But my first thought is, like, can it be worse than Bunkhouse Stampede? I hope not. Yeah, and like, I'm not even a big fan of War Games matches, so it's like, phew. and those are one of the better gimmicks. So we're headed off to our sixth match: Oz versus the world's strongest human being, Bill Kazmaier. And we got Oz mask off. No mask, no cool entrance. Is the it's wizard's only, not with me either, is he? No. It's oh, almost yeah. like it's like Oz is an afterthought at this point. They only got to play the Wizard of Oz for a month. Maybe they only had the rights for like a month on TBS, and they're like, well shit, we haven't got a good enough name for him yet. <laughs> is his real name Kevin Nash? Yeah. Awesome. Great Nash. name. Great name. Kaz comes out holding a globe balloon because you know he's the world's strongest human being, so he holds yeah. the world on his shoulders, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So if you're wondering who Bill Kazmaier is, he has won three world's strongest man, strongest man competitions in the early 80s. So not even like recently. Yeah, like Like, a decade ago, or at least more than five years ago. Yeah, I did. Oz got Oz got the booze, though. I don't know if Bill Kazmaier was like on uh, TV on America's Gladiators at the time, or if everybody just remembered Oz from the last two pay-per-views. Yeah. How just like lame it is. It's like you have this big, handsome, buff guy, no matter how green he is. I mean, no pun intended. No matter how green he is, like, you know, putting this gimmick on him is just not fair. It's not. The two men lock up with neither getting an advantage early on until Kaz starts running the ropes and ducks a clothesline before coming back with a clothesline of his own. Body slammed by Kaz Meyer. Oz then asks for a test of strength, which Kaz is winning, until Oz hits him with a boot to gain control. But Bill starts fighting back to take Oz down to his knees, and then stomps on his hands. Clubbing forearms across the back by Oz, goes for an Irish whip that is reversed, and then Kaz hits a hip toss. Oz with another knee, another Irish whip attempt that is reversed. Kazmaier charges in, but Oz moves and hits a back suplex for a two count. Right hand sends Kaz to the apron, clubbing forearms across the chest, a knee to the back to cause Kazmaier to slip off the apron, but he holds onto the ropes, skins the cat to make his way back in, hitting a clothesline, a knee lift, and picks Oz up into the torture rack for the submission and the win. The skin the cat was the only thing I popped for, and that, like, torture rack 
was kind of weak. It feels like he put him in there, didn't even shake him around, and like you didn't even see a verbal uh, submission. Usually the torture rack, they just start shaking their hand. Yeah, but I didn't even, I didn't even catch it. Maybe it happened, but at this point, you know, I was probably half asleep. The skin the cat was the thing that like, kind of woke me up for a second. JR and Tony then talk about how tickets have gone on sale for WCW's next trip across the pond to Japan for Super Show 2. So we're going to get Rick and Fujinami 3? Possibly <laughs> not. <laughs> I'm going to go with probably not. Probably not. We're going to get Barry, Barry Windham versus Fujinami 1? I don't know what we'll get. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure it out here. WCW without Ric Flair feels like, you know, a jelly sandwich. Where the hell is the peanut butter, sir? I bet Sting and Muda have something to do with the show. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And it also, I mean, we all know Sting's not the best promo, but why couldn't he be the guy that they put the belt on? I know that they're like a heel territory. It just seems so wild that it's like Lex as a heel. Lex is a babyface, maybe, but I guess they don't have any heels that they would would want to use and I don't they're trying they gave me three matches that I love so I should probably shut up so we're headed off to our seventh match Van Hammer versus Doug Summers Van Hammer is a rock star gimmick but with guys working jackhammers on the stage as he comes out (sighs) yeah I was like is it late for a Van Halen ripoff deal thing like I mean I know it's 91 Van Halen's still big. Like grunge hasn't hit yet by any means, but like I wish the I wish what I was doing had a noise because yeah yeah the, my the shoulders. shoulder shrug will go <laughs> yeah you, yeah it's like a lazier version of like the of Kathy's the tip. Ack. oh yeah Ack. that's Ack. pretty good we could just do Ack. I like that I like Kathy I was thinking the like high pitch sound from the end of the Home Improvement um theme song. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know if that works. You'd have to do it like in a lazy way, but I don't know if you can do that in a lazy way that shows your apathy. That may be trademarked. We probably like, shouldn't do it. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that Tim Allen's fine having his like stupid conservative sitcom. Don't go too far. Ugh. So I have a question for He's you. He's a snitch. He's a snitch and I don't like him. Is Van Hammer the tannest man we have seen in wrestling so far? Is he more tan than, like, Hogan? I feel like he he maybe, is. Maybe he is. Yeah. I mean... He also kind of looks like he could be a Von Eric. That literally... <laughs> like, at so first, I was like, is that Chuck Palumbo? <laughs> but then I was like, no, Palumbo's way too young yeah. to be Van Hammer. And, then I was and like, Van Hammer's uh, also, like, you know, it's not really a spoiler, but, for, like, throughout this match, I was like, is Van Hammer kind of like are like Tom McGee or WCW Tom McGee, but he made it to television because <laughs> he's like obviously a big guy. He's handsome. He's athletic, but he's not a wrestler, but he can do like impressive things because he's, you know, an impressive, impressively athletic human, but he's not a wrestler. He doesn't have the, he doesn't have the wrestling gene in his body, but like he does some, some things where like, Oh shit, that's wild. And I'm like, well, maybe, maybe he's the Tom McGee. Of the of the WCW, well, they hide it well here because the match literally lasts minute and a half. And maybe As... I'm thinking maybe I'm thinking of a later Van Hammer match, but yeah, uh, we got Pretty Boy Doug Summers. 
As Summers is tossed to the ropes, he's, he trips on his way there. So Hammer hits a clothesline, a power slam, a forearm. Irish whips Doug hard first faced in the corner, followed by a back body drop, an elbow drop, and a leg drop. <laughs> Starts a we will rock you clap. And nobody gives a shit. He then hits a slingshot suplex, mm-hmm. which is a cool move. Yeah. I love it. For the pin and the win. Well, is it a win? Because Doug Summers obviously kicks out on three just to be a dick because he was like, I'm not losing to this. Because Doug Summers was a like 70 a, year a, old job. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Like he's not a he wasn't a jobber his whole career. Like. He's old school, man, and he's like, I'm not fucking, I'm not actually taking the pin to this. So I doubt we'll see Doug Summers in WCW again, because they probably fired him immediately for doing that. But I, I was like, good for you, Doug Summers. I bet he was fuck, just a local fuck this guy that they just went, eh, go stand in the ring for like two seconds. No, no, he's, I think he's a, if we go, if we go and look back, like he's a 70s guy, yeah, like ter- territory guy. But like, he obviously was like, what am I doing here? And he, he kicks at three. <laughs> Just to be a dick. And uh, I think that that's very funny. We then go to some comments from our next competitors. Flying Brian Pillman says, Many athletes have gone their entire career with the, op- the opportunity at a world title. So I'm dedicating this match tonight to my family and the great fans of WCW. And then it flips over to Alexandria York, who says, will all be witnesses to the York Foundation securing their first ever title in WCW. Followed by Richard Morton, the road you are taking, Pillman, leads to a dead end. I've been a champion all my life, and tonight is no different. So everyone's wondering, what belt are they fighting for? A world title. It's a brand new title. So our eighth match, fly-in Brian Pillman, versus Richard Morton with Alexandria York to become the inaugural WCW light heavyweight champion. It's the dawn of the, of the juniors. They don't call them juniors here, but the, the, the lightweights. Were you, were you kind of pumped when you saw this or when you yeah, heard about this? Of course I was. Pillman and Ricky Morton, never going to turn down that match. I would watch Ricky Morton Today, at the age of 70, wrestle a... Well, if you watch some of those NWA powers, you'll see some. Oh, I have. I saw the... Uh, what was the tournament they did last uh, summer? Crockett Cup. Yeah, I watched some of the Crockett Cup last year. And it wasn't terrible. They also did some U.S. Uh, New Japan stuff Yeah, for the, for the last New Japan U.S. tour. But I'd watch 70-year-old Ricky Morton today have a match with the hologram of Brian Pillman. I'm game. So WCW had held a single elimination tournament over several weeks, and this would be the finals of that tournament to determine the champion. And the ref, Nick Patrick, still has his referee camera on. Oh, the return of the referee. It's a, what, it's, what, what was your opinion on the referee? It looks stupid on top of the ref's head. Agreed. It, it looks like he has a bicycle helmet yeah it's just a bicycle helmet basically with a camera on it. but it does the shots do look cool i think that whoever is editing like live television needs to be very careful because we all know the ref's very important in a wrestling match and as soon as 
a heel is doing or anybody for that matter is doing something that they shouldn't be doing and the rest kind of have you shouldn't have that eye that camera on yeah when whenever he's like making like you know checking to make sure that like blah 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 that like that he's not being able to he's not actually seeing them or it's in the line of sight doing the illegal thing like that's the scary part of it but outside of that it's pretty great it's really fun and it's one of those things where i was like why don't they use that today with like gopros you could use something smaller blah 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 but i think that i just answered that question by saying that like you can totally ex not like you know the business is exposed but you can totally make a joke out of it which, which I, nobody wants to see that i don't like that you could totally make a joke out of it especially if like you know kevin dunn's behind the thing just <laughs> going all epileptic with his camera choices so pillman and morton are taunting each other before the match begins and they begin throwing crazy right hands to begin uh, with the other ducking out of the way. Yeah, I love Ricky Morton's, like, shit talk. It just doesn't really stop. I think, did you think he learned that from Zabisco? Because Zabisco's real good at it. <laughs> Morton with an arm drag and eye rake goes for an Irish whip that is reversed. But Richard slides under Pillman and rolls to the outside to get some more notes from Miss York. Another eye rake, another eye reversed Irish whip. And Flying Bryman goes for a hip toss that is blocked. Morton then goes for a hip toss that is blocked, and Pillman flips Richard over face first into the mat. A body slam and a spinning heel kick to send Morton to the floor. Richard then Irish whips Flying Brian to the corner, who leaps up and over a charging Morton, runs back to the other corner, leaping up to the second rope. Fakes like he's going to come off with a crossbody to send Richard ducking to the mat, and then Pillman turns to hit a double axe handle. For a two count. Fucking nice. The fake out was so good. A side headlock takedown by Brian is sent to the ropes, a shoulder block, back to the side headlock, but Morton reverses into a head scissors. More side headlocks reversed into head scissors by the two. Pillman's up with a Japanese arm drag, a regular arm drag, and back to the side headlock. I'm going to say this right now. Yep. Light heavyweights need to be doing more action than side headlocks for five minutes. <laughs> That's true. I will say that when Pillman like does the the fake out, there's a incredible like baby face moment that's just like, oh, like this man is a star where he does the fake out, but then he like does the shh with like the finger up to his lips to the rest of the crowd. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just thought that it was incredible. He's like does the jumps up there, like does the fake out then turns and does the axe handle and i was just like that is like the little like the cherry on the top it's like oh yeah it was already cool you did that but then like putting your personality out there and like having a relationship like with the fans was awesome i really liked it flying brian starts running the ropes but is hit with a back elbow by richard who follows up with an elbow drop which pillman escapes by rolling away and then takes morton over into the side headlock again Richard sends Flying Brian to the ropes, goes for a back body drop, which Pillman leapfrogs, but Morton catches him on the way back for an inverted atomic drop. Richard starts working on the shoulder. Brian fires back with some elbows, but an eye rake regains control for Morton. Pillman's tossed through the ropes, but he charges right back in for an O'Connor roll for a near fall, which Richard follows with a clothesline. JR then tells us that Jushin Thunder Liger is watching to see who will become champion. No, I love that they're like, okay, 
we're really it's kind of like we we fucked this up with muda a few years ago so like let's we have this new title and i imagine this title is inspired by what liger was doing in wcw anyway probably i mean they probably saw those that light heavyweight championship match between liger and akira at the super show one and we're like right. mm, yeah what can we do here light bulb. yeah we're already working together like you guys got a light title we got a light title we can send some people back and forth morton's back to working on the shoulder brian starts running the ropes and hits a shoulder block but then richard with a knee to the gut to regain control morton with an irish whip and pillman charges out of the corner with a clothesline attempt but richard ducks only for flying brian to come back with a second attempt to hit it Irick by Morton that snuffs out the momentum, hits a back suplex for a two count, and starts choking Pillman. Goes for an Irish whip that is reversed, and Flying Brian goes for a big boot that Richard catches, but Pillman with an insiguri to knock Morton down. So that's more what you'd like to see from this match as opposed to our couple of chin locks we've had. Couple? I said couple. I'm being nice. It's still a good match. It's just that when your TV title match is a little bit quicker... It's like, mm, yeah, like I'm not throwing shade. I'm just saying like what you said. I mean, it's still a good match. Mm. Brian with the head slam into a turnbuckle, a back body drop, stalking Richard into the corner only to receive a kick. So Morton with right hands and Irish whip. But Pillman comes out with multiple massive chops across the chest. Pillman's chops are I feel like they should be legendary because they always fucking deliver. I would say he's definitely in the top five for me so far. Yeah, I think that Pillman chops a lot of the times have more resonance. They're sharper sounding. They hit the microphone better than even a lot of flare chops. Flying Brian's running the ropes, and the two men run into each other to send both to the floor. They begin to brawl on the outside with Pillman being sent into the ring post shoulder first. Posted. Richard makes his way back into the ring. Flying Brian climbs to the top rope, coming off with a crossbody for the pin and the, and win. the win. And, and first. first. Oh my God, I can't wait to do this in person again. We normally sync up so well. So our first light heavyweight champion is the person who should be the first lightweight heavy champion, heavyweight Agreed. champion. Agreed. Like if it was anybody Agreed. else, I'd be upset. And they at least put the belt on the right person. Yeah. Even if the match for it was not good yeah it's i think that it is good i don't think it's great i think i literally just dislike morton as a heel i i feel i find his heel matches very tedious and boring yeah i don't know that i feel the same way but i'm not i don't have a lot to tell you i can't be like but mad like but you're wrong it's like well i can see why you feel that way there's not a whole lot to say. It's just like he's good, but are you just saying that that it lacks personality? Are you or do or do you think maybe he's tr- really being the heel by not giving you what you want? I think I just want Richard Morton back. Well, yeah, I want Ricky Morton back, not yeah. Richard Morton. I want Ricky Morton back too. But in a in 1991, when you've got Brian Pillman looking incredible, and then Ricky Morton, who's like by no means like not fit but like he doesn't look like a baby face you gotta make him heal but just think of it this way if richard morton was ricky morton our face yeah and 
he was just in this match doing his face stuff, how much better of a match this would have been. Oh, I agree, but you can't, you can't like American wrestling specifically at this t- point in time, you can't have faces versus faces. I feel like in a tournament you can. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. But that, you're not, they're not going to do that because, for the, for the tournament not, finale. Because it's not a blood feud type thing. It's no, a, no. You're fighting for a belt type thing. Yeah. So you can show respect to each other at the end of the yeah. match. And I think you can do fun. that, but that's just not a very American wrestling thing. And it's not a really good... Well, Americans I, are dumb. I, uh, I can't say that I love... Uh, I, I like a, a wrestling match. And when it's always faces versus heel, you don't always get the best wrestling matches. So I don't subscribe to this you can't have baby face matches because I like it when it's presented as like a sport, but sometimes, now, heel, sometimes the guy's shitty heel versus heel matches. Th- those don't really work, but no. baby first versus baby face matches. They can work because then you just have, you just yeah. have them do a whole bunch of cool shit. And it's yeah. And then they just like awesome. raise the hand over top. They got one guy. They, they pin each other. The other guy helps the other guy up and raise each other's hands and everyone feels good. And they also got a, bitching ass match with no fucking chin locks <laughs> exactly. but that's not happening here you gotta you gotta understand that that's not wasn't gonna happen here but wanting not. it to happen i understand because i definitely miss ricky but i'm not as down on richard as you are Tony, glad that tom zink is not in the york foundation thank god because they already got a they already got a terry taylor so it's like well we don't need a tom zink well, they already have a Thomas as well because they have Thomas Rich. <laughs> oh, yeah. We then go to JR and Tony who preview the next match, and they're still wondering who the Phantom is. Maybe we'll find out in this next match as Maybe. for our ninth match. It's Z Man versus Speak of the, the Devil, the WCW Phantom. WCW Halloween Phantom? Depends on who you talk to. <laughs> I I think that this is just another like Ted Turner thing where it's like, oh well, you know, we need something spooky. Actually, I don't think it is. Really? I think they I mean just, they wanted a surprise for the later surprise is show. good, but like Halloween the Halloween Phantom is a really dumb name. <laughs> or the, just a phantom. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it is. What was the what was the one that eventually was Ric Flair? Black Scorpion. Black Scorpion. At least Black Scorpion's a cool name, but it was stupid when it was against Sting. So the Phantom comes out wearing a mask and a full bodysuit, and he attacks Z-Man right away, tossing him to the ropes, hitting a clothesline, a body slam, an eye rake, a back rake, and another toss to the ropes to give a knee to the gut. And I just want to say, when this first started, I was like, okay, who is that? Who could that be? At first, I thought it was Butch Reed, because you can see the mustache, and the guy kind of looked like he had like darker skin. But then no, Tony, after... Tony mentions Tony mentions it right as you can. Oh, does see. he? Yeah, really. And then I see. Uh, I mean, they kind of let you know who it's really is pretty early. But the yeah, but I was like, oh, maybe it's Butch Reed. But then as the match continued, I was like, oh, well, that's not a black man. It just kind of looked like one from the angle. The cameras are old. And then also, I was like, oh, well, that's not Butch Reed's body because he's wearing like a tin, like a tight. Yeah, Butch Reed is like, much bigger big, than this guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, this guy is big and cut, but Butch Reed is bulkier than this guy. So I was like, oh, because it Butch Reed? And then I was like, nah, it's not Butch Reed. But for a second, I was like, okay, that's cool. The Phantom hits a backbreaker, multiple elbow drops, tosses Zink to the ropes, but ducks his head, allowing Z-Man to get a kick in, a drop kick. But the Phantom is right back with a knee to the gut, hitting a neckbreaker, 
for the pin and, and the, the win. win. I don't like to see Z-Man done like that. Not a fan of that. So did Tony spoil the secret by mentioning what the netbreaker was called elsewhere? Yeah, he did. Is that, is that how you figured it out? Um, Yeah, of course I did. I know, it was just like, well, uh, all right, cool. If you notice, I didn't mention it because I'm going to save the surprise for yeah, you, Yeah, we got it. Like, I knew who it was right after that, and like I was like, okay, maybe Butch Reed, and then I noticed the body, and then Tony said that, and I was like, well, pff, all right, well, now I know who it is. And we see the ad for Starcade shown again. Okay, do you think Tom Zink could pull off being light heavyweight? Yes. Is, is he a little too big? Because what if the smart thing to do here would have been maybe had Richard Morton get smashed by the Phantom, have Tom Zink in the light heavyweight tournament, and then have the two their your two faces that were that were once a tag team and people like there's your face match, Matt. Wouldn't you love to see that? I would love to see that. I would have loved to have seen that. And it's quick fix because Richard Morton, it doesn't really matter. Him getting destroyed by the Phantom, like yeah, we love Ricky Morton, but Richard Morton as the heel, but it's that's your heel versus heel, so they can't do that either because that's the way they think. But if they would just, I mean, do, if do they would just th- think like we thought, then maybe do they would have done the Phantom to heel. At I mean, this point, he's got a mask we don't on, even, so he's we a don't heel. Even know who it is? He's got a we mask on. He's a heel. Phantom. He's a phantom. It's Halloween. He has a mask on. Are you saying Rey Mysterio is a heel? No, he's uh, a luchador. That's different. <laughs> How do we know that the phantom's not a luchador? Uh, he's a pretty big luchador. The um, but yeah, I think that maybe was they would have done yellow that. Dog, if... Was yellow dog a heel? I don't know, man. But no, you know what I'm saying. Brian, you... It was Brian Pillman, so he wasn't a heel. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though, right? Like. They would. That's what they should have done, but they would not have done it because old school wrestling brains. Wouldn't have done it for the sheer fact that the York Foundation was still. They were still giving them a little bit of a push, not much, but a little bit of one. Yeah, yeah. And then we go to our tenth match: the Patriots of Firebreaker Chip and Todd. What was that? Hold on. First name. Firebreaker Chip. (laughs) F F F B C. Was there like an inside joke here? Why would somebody be called Firebreaker Chip? I have no clue. It's not like what is literally a, the worst name. What I've is ever. a what is even a Firebreaker? I have no clue. We have not seen these guys before, right? No, we have not seen these guys before. Not even under different names. I know this is the first time we've seen them. The Patriots. So one of the Patriots is a fireman, I'd imagine. And what's the second one? Is is that what Firebreaker means? Is that he's a fireman? I don't know. I literally have no clue. Firebreaker sounds like a really lame, like, metal record, band, song, whatever. It sounds like a really bad, like, thrash or, like, early, like, death metal band. But they're going to be facing the enforcers of Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco for the WCW World Tag Team Championship. But wait, what was the other Patriots name? I got distracted. Todd, Todd Champion. <laughs> you know that name can't be Champion. He is a champion because the Patriots were the U.S. Tag Team Champions after beating the Freebirds a couple months prior, while the Enforcers. So we have the, the, we just walk. All right, I'm uh, I'm all in on the Patriots. I guess they got the titles. They're here. They love their country. I guess they're this deep. They're this deep into the soldier gimmick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the other one's doing a fireman gimmick. But like, think. And like, and also a Chippendales thing. It's like, 
So that's where the chip came from, right? I mean, he's a big buff boy. <laughs> and the enforcers had won the world titles in a tournament, which was held because the Steiners couldn't defend them with Scott being hurt. Because back in WCW, that everyone had to defend their titles every 30 days or they'd be stripped of the title. Yeah. They actually enforced this rule. I like it. I'm, I'm cool with that. And also, it gives an excuse to... Have a tournament. Uh, all, yeah, or take the titles off of your biggest guys and get more use out of them. <laughs> you know, it's like for this, for people to, to root for the Steiners again, when they beat the living shit out of somebody in a couple months, which exactly. I imagine will have to happen because the Steiners are the greatest. The match gets going. Chip hits a shoulder tackle is then placed into an ab stretch by Zabisco, but reverses it into one of his own. Then Larry hip tosses firebreaker to escape. Body slammed by Chip, then Zabisco tries to go for a neckbreaker, but Firebreaker reverses it into a backslide pin attempt for a two count. Arn tags in, taunts Champion before focusing on Chip with a waistlock takedown, and the two men tussle until Anderson is forced through the ropes to the outside. Chip's too oily, Anderson just shot right off of him. Double A grabs a hammerlock. Firebreaker reverses, tags in Todd, who comes in with a double axe handle across the arm. Champion looks to work on the arm, but Arn escapes and begins to work over Todd, stomping him to the apron before slingshotting him back into the ring. We get a knee drop, more stomps to put Champion on the apron again, and goes for the slingshot once more, but Todd blocks and reverses to send Anderson over the ropes to the floor. The, the double slingshot? double slingshot i know i was like this is the cutest thing on the whole show is like because there's something about the slingshot that's awesome but like it doesn't matter if you're two or fucking a hundred like it's it's obviously exposing the business <laughs> there's some, there's nothing about the slingshot that doesn't expose the business so doing like doing it and then having the other guy do like an immediate callback is just kind of adorable and I thought it was really fun. Champion with a hammer off the apron, but double A with the eye rake goes for a pile driver, which Todd reverses into a back body drop. Once back in the ring, Arn is wrapped up tight in a bear hug by Champion, but Zabisco comes in with a cheap shot to break the hold. They then double team Irish whip Todd, but he charges out of the corner with a double clothesline to take the enforcers down. Larry slaps Todd, rolls to the outside where Champion follows and chases after Zabisco who blind tags Anderson in, so Double A grabs hold of Todd, allowing Larry to hit a savat kick, and then Arn tosses Champion over the ropes to the outside. Zabisco slams Todd's head into the guardrail and then rolls him back into the ring, where Anderson continues the attack with a shot to the gut, a snapmare, a knee drop. Larry comes in with a body slam and a swinging neckbreaker for a two-count. Head slam into a boot by Zabisco, but Champion starts firing up with right hands on Arn, lifting him for an atomic drop, which Double A makes the blind tag, allowing Larry to come off the second rope with a double axe handle. Backbreaker by Zabisco goes for a vertical suplex, but Todd reverses into one of his own, crawls to his corner for the... Hot tag! Chip in with right hands, body slams, drop kicks to both enforcers, power slam on Anderson, but Larry makes the save. Flying back elbow by Champion takes Zabisco down while Arn tosses Firebreaker to the ropes, missing a clothesline, so Chip runs into Larry to send him to the outside. 
but causes Firebreaker to stumble back towards Double A for a spine buster for the pin and, and the, the win. win. The return of the spine buster. Oh, what a that finish is very fun. That's about all you can say about that match. I mean, I mean, we're both all in on the enforcers, right? I think Larry Zabisco and um, Arn, like Arn's always great, but Arn and Larry Zabisco is a pretty fun team. I feel like they just feel it. They got it. They got, they got good chemistry. They do have good chemistry, and they totally carried Chip and Champion, who are very green. Yeah. To a good mediocre, match. mediocre yeah. match. Totally. It's crazy that we've had like so few tag matches on the show. This is the first tag match on the whole show, right? That's wild. A couple of crazy. a couple of WCW shows ago, we would have been like, "I need some singles matches," which I probably said a bunch of times because it was like tag, 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 tag. You have said that a bunch about. Wow. I meant it. So it's nice to get, you know, a solid tag match. Oh, even the if second those... tag match. Okay. We had the, cre- we had the creatures versus oh, News and Josh. Well. Man. It's easy to forget. Don't worry. About yeah, it. yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, four guys that don't that have no reason to be in the ring together. Jr. and Tony then send it to Eric Bischoff, who's on the rampway, and Bischoff says his former colleague Paul E. Dangerously has some news that is going to shock everyone to its very core. And all of a sudden, Paul E. and Medusa come. Oh out. yeah, hell yeah, Medusa. And we haven't seen Medusa since AWA Super Clash which was episode 23. Dangerously starts talking about the booking committee and how they aren't with the times. Shoot or work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels pretty shooty, Polly. They think he's too controversial, so he's no longer a co-host on one of the TV programs. Sometimes, uh, you know, art imitates life. Which is very much what happened here, because... Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, I know. So Paulie says this means war on WCW because he has a manager's license, and he's starting a stable. He's got Medusa. Oh yes, he's got the Phantom, whoever that may be. And all of a sudden, the Phantom makes his way out to join the interview. Dangerously puts him over as the only man who can crush the hopes of the little stingers. The Phantom then takes his mask off, and it's. Ravishing Rick Rude. Rick motherfucking Rude. And how did how could you not know after Tony does the thing that Tony does on the show? Yeah, so earlier when I didn't mention literally Tony says, Oh, he hit the rude awakening. Yeah. And it's like Come on, man. Come on, Shivani. Really? I couldn't believe that. Ruined the surprise completely. (sighs) But I mean we like Rick Rude, right? We we do like Rick Rude. I like I like Rick Rude. I assume you do as well. I mean, he definitely had the his best matches were with Warrior. Yeah, I like his this the stuff he did with Jake too. I'm trying to remember his stuff with Jake. I mean, I I, well, think I mean was, it's not I, it's not incredible. But I think that I was mean, stuff when I wasn't liking Jake as much. So yeah, I, I'm still not completely sold on Jake. I mean, I, I, I mean, I can't imagine that you're going to get more sold on Jake later because I'm pretty sure that he's not going to become, uh, you know, a, a bigger star. Rude then takes the mic and says, all I care about is myself, my women and my money. And my money man has a problem with the booking committee. 
So we are going to destroy WCW brick by brick. And what better way to start than with Sting? So this is the first incarnation of the NWO? (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's Rick Rude. He's got his, he's using his his WWF name because, you know, it's before. Well, technically Rick Rick Rude was actually in JCP. Oh, yeah. Back in the day as Ravishing Rick Rude. Yeah, so he, back when everybody he, just kept their names and moved around. Yeah. So he actually owns the name. But yeah, it's like, oh, the destroy the WCW brick by brick thing. So are you excited for a little rude sting? Of feud? course I am. How could I not be? Yeah. I mean, Rick Rude's... Sting, sting needs some. Sting needs some somebody to work with. He needs somebody that's a fucking heel. That's for goddamn sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, and Rick Rude's a great heel. A great heel and one that is... Intim- like inti- intimidating and believable. And you know he can be a shithead. So I can't wait to see his spray-painted pants. JR and Tony then preview the next batch and send us to a video package. And it's Ron Simmons back at Florida State in the locker room, on the football field training. We go to Bobby Bowden, who's the coach at Florida State at that time. He says Simmons has done everything possible to prepare for this match. More training in the weight room video. It's so good. It's so. This is a perfect promo package. I think that this is incredible. I know because we don't have to hear Jr. tell us about his football. I know, we but it's like it, it. it's like a perfect way to turn Ron Simmons to be like like people like Ron Simmons already. He's not super over, but like this is a beautiful, perfect way to do it. And I think this package is extremely tasteful. And I really was super impressed by it. Presentation and like, it's just, I don't have any bad things to say about this promo package they recorded. It lo- it feels like some good WWF stuff, but it has a more of a, a more grounded in reality, like thing, because it is grounded in reality. We then go to our 11th match, Ron Simmons with Dusty Rhodes versus Lex Luger with Harley Race and Mr. Hughes in a two-out-of-three falls match for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Why a two-out-of-three falls? Have they had matches before? So JR actually says later on, like after the match is over, that this is the first two-out-of-three falls match in WCW pay-per-view history. Yeah. And so I was like, well, maybe he's doing a loophole because they used to be, you know, NWA and JCP or whatever. But yeah. I actually went back and looked, and the only other two out of three falls match that we have covered was Flair Steamboat. And that was at Clash of the Champions. So it technically wasn't a pay-per-view. Yeah, that's funny. But I'm saying not even the two out of three falls thing. I mean, like... Why is Ron Simmons versus Lex Luger a two out of three falls if we haven't seen, if this is not like the trilogy of Ron Simmons and Lex Luger? That that's I my issue. No, that's my issue. That I have no clue. It's like two out of three falls after a bunch I of small. Find, I couldn't find any reason storyline wise for Ron Simmons falls. to even be in this match. And other this got than, me really excited because I was like, well, that means that Ron Simmons is going to win because why would they show this beautiful package? And then have a two out of three falls match, and it's like, well, Ron Simmons isn't super over, but neither is Lex at this point. But this two out of three falls and this wonderful package is a great way to like get people sold on him. But we'll see how that goes. 
So the ref, Nick Patrick, go, is giving instructions before the match, and he sends Mr. Hughes back to the locker room. I mean, you know, three on two, not fair. And JR tells us that the two men, Simmons and Luger, were actually teammates in the United States Football League, which I don't think he'd ever mentioned before, so that's interesting. I mean, you know, sometimes uh, I guess JR can't put all of his football facts out there all the time. He's got to save some kernels. The two men keep locking up with no one gaining an advantage until a side headlock takedown by Luger, which Simmons reverses into a head scissors. More locking up with Lex pushing Ron back into a corner, goes for a cheap shot when the ref tries to separate them, but Simmons fires back with right hands of his own, tossing Luger to the ropes and goes for a drop kick, but Lex holds on to miss being kicked. Luger with kicks to the gut, working over the back with elbows, axe handles, clubbing forearms, Ron retaliates with right hands and goes for an Irish whip that is reversed, but Lex ducks his head allowing Simmons to faceplant him. Another toss to the ropes, a clothesline, a power slam by Ron, hits a spine, spine buster, buster. Uh, for the pin. I know. That was quick. It was nice. A spine buster from Ron is cool. One thing I'd like to talk about before we get to our second fall, they don't. they are obviously shying away from like really showing the title at the beginning of this match because it's not big gold. Like, they show it, but you can tell they're kind of trying not to show it because Bobby Heenan has big gold. Because Bobby Heenan had big gold on the last WWF pay-per-view. Yeah, it's the old Western heritage Yeah, yeah. we've seen it, but it's just so weird. Yeah, they just put a little nameplate over the title so it says world title on it. But yeah, they haven't created a new belt yet for it. Yeah, like, I assume they're just going to make another big gold. No, they they end up they do, have, big, they do something different. They end up getting big gold back at some point. Oh yeah, I mean I imagine they have to. Like it's big, it's big gold. It's the it's the best belt. Yes, it is the best belt. So Ron Simmons is up one nothing, and I'm pumped. There's a 60 second rest period between falls, and Dusty is calming Ron down, telling him to make no mistakes, and the bell rings. But Harley tries to steal a few more seconds for Luger to recover as the ref forces him to leave. Lex is holding his back, but surprises with a knee lift and goes for a suplex. But Simmons reverses into one of his own before Irish whipping Luger back and forth and then a back body drop. Lex escapes the corner with an eye rake. Irish whips Ron, charges in, but Simmons gets a back elbow up and then face plants him to the mat for a two count. Luger with a shoulder block goes for a body slam, but Ron cradles him for a small package for another two count. Lex throws Simmons through the ropes by using the tights to the outside. Ron's back to the apron to deliver a shoulder block and comes back into the ring with a sunset flip for a near fall. Simmons hits a clothesline, goes for a second, but Luger sidesteps him and Ron goes flying to the outside. Back in, Lex is on the offense with chokes, stomps, a shoelace rake to the eyes, elbow drop, and Ron starts firing back with right hands. But Luger hits a power slam for a two count. The shoelace. The shoelace rake. Come on, guys. Is it the steel? The steel on their on their boots? The eyelets of their boots that hurts? Shoelaces. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I mean, I know shoelace. it's a thing. It's been a thing, but come on. I'm going to give you a shoelace rake to the eyes next time I see you. It's going to well, be the new hug. <laughs> yeah. 
We'll just we'll just exchange shoelace high wigs. <laughs> Simmons with an Irish whip charges into a big boot from Lex, and Luger charges out with a clothesline, hitting a vertical suplex, and slowly covers for two. Lex locks on the reverse chin lock, using the ropes for leverage, but Ron begins to power up to escape with elbows. An Irish whip, but Luger reverses and charges in when Simmons sidesteps and cradles him for another near fall. <sighs> Lex tosses Ron to the ropes, goes for a hip toss, which Simmons blocks and reverses into a backslide pin. Mm. Only a two count. Shoulder tackle by Ron goes to run the ropes when Harley grabs his foot. So Simmons turns to confront him, but Dusty comes in with multiple elbows to race. Go Dusty. Hell yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, Dusty won that belt off of him once or twice. I know Dusty had twice. So both of his title runs were Harley race or was Uh, he a three-time champion? And then he's a three-time champion because he beat Flair one time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta love Dusty. Big old piece of shit. Ron's back on the attack when Lex rakes the eyes, and Simmons stumbles back towards the ropes where Race is holding onto him, while Luger goes for a crossbody and ends up flying over the ropes to the floor. So there's been a lot of people over the top ropes to the floor free-falling on this show, and it always looks rough. So the ref calls for the bell, and Simmons is disqualified for back body dropping Lex over the top rope. Uh, yeah. Remember when I got scared earlier and I was like, okay, we got past that one. And then this happened here. And I was like, oh, you're going to fucking do it to me now. Even before the call, I was like, you son of a, and like, and this, the spot was was good though. It was a good spot. Good Good spot. Cause you could could totally tell that Harley was holding Uh on to him. Yeah. So you knew what was happening, but the ref didn't. It was good execution of a thing that shouldn't exist and then i was just like so excited when this happened so i was like well how else do you get ron simmons over as your new babyface champion you've you're building this perfectly so like i was convinced that i was about to get a new champion that i i I would that i was like 110 percent behind so excited i was so pumped so the match is tied at one. We get another 60-second rest period. So pumped. And then Luger with a cheap shot starts hitting elbows, clubbing forearms, axe handles across the back. Head slams into turnbuckles, but Simmons no-sells it and fires back with mounted punches. But Lex tries to escape with an inverted atomic drop that is blocked, and Ron hits a clothesline for a near fall. A back body drop for Simmons. Luger with a shot to the gut and goes for an Irish whip that is reversed. And Ron hits another inverted atomic drop. Simmons picks Lex up, placing him on the top rope. Climbs up to hit a superplex for the pin. (sighs) And the no Luger kicks out. Horse shit. Been selling his back the whole match. Then you superplex him on the top and he kicks out at two. I don't like it. Power slam. Ron goes up to the second rope, coming off with a flying shoulder tackle, but Lex rolls to the outside. Simmons follows out, tries to slam Luger's head into the guardrail, but is blocked. And Lex tries to do the same, to be blocked as well. So Ron tries one more time to finally get the head slam. 
We get an eye rake by Luger. Simmons goes for the three-point stance clothesline. But Lex <laughs> moves, and Ron goes shoulder first into the ring post. Posted. Luger rolls Simmons back into the ring, hits the pile driver for the pin, and the win. That's me vomiting over this bullshit. How are you going to build Ron Simmons up so beautifully? And then that set, the Luger's win is only seals the deal for what should have happened here. And then also Lex's pile driver. They're calling the attitude adjustment now because the torture rack fucking is not a good finisher. It's just cool. Like if you are, it'd be cool if you had another finisher that lands them on their back because you worked it. I feel like it's a heavy second. I don't like the I don't like the torture rack as a as a definitive win. And you're wrong about that. I know that you love it, but I'm telling you how I feel. And I feel like shit. Because they played with my emotions. I really thought I was gonna get something that I feel like they should have done. They weren't gonna lose anything by taking it off of fucking Lex Luger at this point. Except for Luger's the bigger name. He is, but I feel like they were building Ron up with this show, I feel like they did a really good job of. And then, but then also, what what other heels are there in WCW at this time? I don't know. It's a messy time with an incredible roster of talent. What's crazy is that there's like fifty percent of incredible talent, and the other fifty percent is fucking complete ass. So it's really hard to get anything great because all your it's it's a weird time with an incredible with with it like half of an incredible roster and the other half fucking can't work all i'm saying is that i seriously they this show sold me ron simmons and i didn't get a ron simmons win and i feel like this whole match telegraphed a ron simmons win maybe i just wanted it I think you just want it because you're a you're you're a Ron Simmons stand. I am, and I know he's a champion, WCW champion at some point. So I just thought maybe not, this was the time. What? Not right now. I know, but I thought this was the time because I knew that it does happen, and I was like, oh, this is it. This is it, right? And I worked myself into a shoot, brother. But like, I'm uh, ugh. Either way, this match was not terrible. It was pretty fun. Dusty Harley, Dusty and Harley brought a lot to it. Lex Luger is a bad Ric Flair, and Ron is a real big sweetie, and I want the world for him. JR and Tony then recap the evening, say their goodbyes, and the credits roll as Pyro goes off at the stage. So, Michael Temple, I ask you, what are your overall thoughts of Halloween Havoc 1991? The show's kind of cool. It's kind of a cool show. I kind of like it. I like half of it a whole lot, and then the other half is quick enough for me not to complain about. My thoughts were kind of kind of along the same lines. I, I wrote, we had some very weird stuff, we had some very dull stuff, and some very, why did I sit through this stuff? Yeah, and the other thing is there's no storylines. I would say that the biggest harm to this show is that is the first like the first match has your really cool the cool visual but putting Sting and the Steiners in your first match and not having not getting any 
good pops or like moments for those guys is wild. And then the show still being pretty good considering that is pretty impressive, honestly. It's like, oh, like where's my Sting match? Where's my Steiners match? It's like we had it, but it wasn't a Sting or a Steiners match. It was a nobody's match. They could have put any eight random people in that match and it would have been the same exact match. They could have put like a couple they could have uh, your your Patriots. Obviously they're over. They got titles. I don't know. But it was just like really weird to me that they put that much talent, like even your your Vader and your Jack and all that in this first match, which has a cool visual at the end, but outside of that does nothing for nobody. Outside of it just being a thing. And considering that that is still entertaining and fun and stupid and silly. The rest of the show, there's like four, what, four or five good singles matches that I enjoy. I'll go with four. There was four matches that were good on this show. I mean, it was cool to see someone new in the main event scene in Ron Simmons. I, I was glad that he was getting that push up the card. And I think there's six good matches on this show. And this Dangerous Alliance, this Dangerous Alliance of Rude and Paul E should be very entertaining. Oh, yeah, I'm excited for that. Like, Paul E stable, bring it on. Like, with Rude and, like, man, I'm excited for Medusa because Medusa isn't as wild as Scary Sherry, but she has some of that energy where she's just, like, fucking, like, she's... She's sexy as hell, but she could beat the fuck out of you. Yeah, totally. But she also isn't like like Alexandra York, super cute. We all think that she's attractive, but she's yeah. not a particularly like engaging manager no. outside of just being attractive. Being and like kind of like she's kind of doing like a quiet, a like fighter. stuck up like businessman thing or businesswoman thing. But Medusa is a better act is a better actor yeah like she's a better actor at this point in time we all know that uh alexandra york goes on to i guess you could call it acting um but she definitely comes comes out of her shell later and later in her career definitely good where's the smart marks at all right fuck you i think it's time we smart it up so what are some of the best moments of this show for you Steve Austin and Dustin Rhodes. Yeah. I said I said it earlier, the when they just kept reversing the the small cradle or mm-hmm. the, the inside package. Yeah. Well, it's like three minutes into the match or whatever. Yeah. It's great. That was super fun. It's silly as all get out, but Abby in the lecture chair. Oh, acting. it's incredible visual. Not a good oh. match, but it's worth it for that thing. It just seems like such a waste of talent but it is kind of whatever because i think that the show still holds up without those people which is kind of wild to me and it gives some time for people to shine like okay i like eaton and and taylor a match i think i think that match was great yeah i think that might be the second best match maybe i like johnny b bad and garvin yeah i think that that was really good austin and Rhodes, incredible match of the night kaz and Oz, no, no, thank you. Van Hammer, Summers, no, thank you. Brian and Morton, good. No, thank you. It's good. No, thank you. It's good. No, thank you. My gosh, I'm upset with you about this one. So that's our 
the one we're going to have to argue about, I guess. I mean, I, we can't even argue about it. We just feel that way. We've talked about it. Phantom and Zinc, it did what it had to do. Can't be yeah, mad at it, it but it's, it's not it's good. Not, it's not even I, – I don't even count it because it's not a match. No. Yeah, there's 10 matches here, not 11. Enforcers and the Patriots, pretty good. It might be my fourth favorite match. Really? Uh, and it's, it's and, I, and I don't really feel like it's that good either. Well, and this is where it's we're going to get to the, the... It's mediocre. It's mediocre for the caliber of Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco matches. Yeah, but I mean, they're dealing with for what they were dealing with. It is good. It's not a bad. It is not a like boring match or anything like that. And then our championship match, I think, is the one where I'm going to be like, hey, I really liked this. And you're going to be like, I don't really like this. It's actually my favorite Ron Simmons match I've ever seen. Oh, okay, cool. I'll take that. It's a good match. I, I it's good. I thought it was good. Lex is not great, I, I, but like I'm for not, it's been no better way. than the last couple Lex Luger matches that we have seen. Oh yeah, it beats the shit out of that Barry Windham match. Definitely. I, <laughs> this I is good. And the thing is, I, a lot of it has to do with Ron Simmons number one being in a tag team that's been like pretty hot for a couple of years that no longer exists. And they sell him really well on the show. They have the interview early, and then they have the package later, and then he's got Dusty in his corner, and it feels like they're building a star. Unfortunately, That's exactly what it feels like they're doing. Yeah, and I think that it did that really well. Granted, it would have been nice the if only... Lex was a better heel, but he's not, and we, I'm not going to be mad at him before. I agree with you. The only problem with that match probably is that it was a two out of three falls match. It probably shouldn't have been that. If it was a if, two out of if, if, if they were gonna build if they were gonna build this feud, yeah, this they needed they needed their first feud, match. They should have just done a single to match. end in a schmoz. Yeah, where like Big Cat comes back out, something stupid, something that I wouldn't like. But then it would end with this two of three falls match, and you do your promo and you set it up just like this. But then Ron wins. You even have the over the top rope thing that I'd be mad about. But then it only puts Ron further over. Exactly. Like, so I feel like that. This match is good. It was just put in the wrong spot. And of course, Lex would have been better at being a heel if you gave him some time. If him and Ron got to work together a few times in like shorter DQ matches, if they could have, if they took the time to do a trilogy, that would have been cool. But this also kind of makes Ron feel like more of a star quicker. I can see that. I don't feel like Ron lost anything by losing this match. No, no. That's like, yeah, I agree with that. But. Because both both losses were mistakes, basically. Yeah. The one by the ref by not by thinking it was a back body drop when literally it wasn't, and the other one was him running into the ring post trying to hit a move. So I mean, like I said, I don't feel Ron Simmons loses anything on this match. No, no. You know, Rick Rude being in WCW and Rick Rude and a Sting feud sounds. Pretty, pretty fucking awesome. great to me yeah it's like sting needs somebody to wrestle damn it exactly and like it's been a, they have the thing with wcw right now and maybe the whole time that it's been happening is that the mid card is always stacked and they are unwilling to tell a story or unwilling to tell a good story and also unwilling to make a star because they just keep rick as the star so you see people like flirt yeah. with flirt. They flirt with like it kind of the same way they do in 
in, with WWF, it's like, oh, well, they didn't even flirt with putting somebody above Hogan. And when they did, Hogan couldn't stay long, away long enough to allow it to happen. What are some of the more disappointing moments on this show? I mean, I know you're disappointed that Simmons didn't win the belt, but... <sighs> yeah, I know. I've had, I feel like they were selling that to me. And I mean, I think you, I, you basically have said that Sting and Steiners being in the opening match is disappointing yeah, to you because they totally. could have done something else. But, I get it. But literally, if they put just eight random people in that match, who who gives even less of a shit about a Chamber of Horrors match than we already do? I mean, they had to put they had to put star power in that match. A spectacle, yeah. I'm not gonna shit on Big Josh and PN News. You can't be disappointed by something you don't care about. And I thought I thought Big Josh had some good moments in that match. Yeah, he did. He totally did. Um, but unfortunately, it's just yeah. Like, and I'm not gonna enough, be. I'm not gonna it's a say match that shouldn't be on a pay per view. Yeah, and I can't be disappointed about Bill Kazmaier and Oz because I don't have any expectations. I don't care. I knew that it wasn't gonna go ten minutes. I knew if you're that. You'd be disappointed about something. It's that those matches are on a pay on the card. Yeah, exactly. So I can't really. Like, yeah. If you're if you're living in 1991 and you're paying 30 bucks to yeah. get this pay per view, and then you have to sit through that shit, it's just like, what the fuck, dude? The reason those matches are on the card is because your first match has El Gigante Sting, the Steiner Brothers, Abdul the Butcher, Diamond Stud, Cactus Jack, and Van Vader. So yeah. that's why those are there. So. My disappointment, I guess, lands with the first match, and that's kind of it. I think this show is fun, and the thing that it, the only thing that it truly is lacking is angles, because the work rate is solid in the right places. I mean, I do feel like this show is a better show than Great American Bash, easily, but it's still not great. I am, I'm not mad at it at all. No, I'm not mad at it either. How about best performer of the night? We're, we're giving it to Austin and Rhodes, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to call that one a push. Like, it's both of yeah, them. It was both of them, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, like, you could give the edge to Austin because he's the heel, but a heel's always going to be a little bit flam- more flamboyant. So, like, he's going to be the talkier and shittier, so you're going to have to put a little bit more forward. How about most surprising? Come on, Rick Rude. I didn't know Rick Rude was going to be the Phantom. I thought it was Butch Reed for a second. And then I realized it wasn't Butch Reed. Tony fucked it up, but I was like, oh my God. I didn't realize this, this, was, this was the show that the Dangerous Alliance starts. So oh, really? I was like, cool. as soon as Paul E came out, I was just all like, <sighs> my, my face just like lit up. And I was like, oh, yes. See, I, I don't like, even, I didn't even know of the Dangerous Alliance. So I'm going to, it'll be fun to go along this ride with you. Because I'm seeing it start being unaware of it, and you're watching it start from being a fan of it and never seeing the beginning of it. So that's kind of cool. So let's just say that after the Four Horsemen, Dangerous Alliance is my next favorite stable. Oh, okay. That's awesome. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited. Like, Rick Rude feels like the just, like, perfect B12 shot in the ass of the flu that is WCW. (laughs) So, like, it feels good. And then, you know, Polly and Medusa, it's like, all right, cool. Hopefully he cures us all of this of this doldrums that has been WCW for a while. Yeah, the cure to COVID is Rick Rude's mustache. And now for a look back even farther into the history of wrestling. 
the dusty finish. Superstar Billy Graham had held the title for close to 300 days until he showed up to Madison Square Garden on February 20th, 1978. Bob Backlund, after several attempts at the belt, would finally break through, even though Graham's foot was on the rope, to become the 8th WWWF heavyweight champion. Backlund, born 1949 in Princeton, Minnesota, would win an NCAA Division II wrestling championship while at North Dakota State. He would take his talents to the AWA and debut in 1973. His clean-cut look and technical approach made him a fan favorite. He would travel the country winning several regional titles before making his way to the WWF. After his championship win, he would take on all challenges, even Antonio Inoki while on a Japanese tour. During Bob Backlund's reign, the WWF would once again leave the NWA and change their name to World Wrestling Federation. For his contributions and accomplishments, Bob Backlund would be inducted into the Professional Wrestling, WWE, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. Backlund would hold on to the title for over five years until an Iranian heel would make his presence known. Jabroni. Next week, Clash of the Champions 17. You know, I really love a Clash of the Champions. There's... So nothing better than a under two hour wrestling show where every title is defended. And like every time we watch one, because we kind of watch we the ones we, we cherry pick the, the ones that we deem are important. But every time I watch one, like I'm just so tempted to watch the one behind it or watch the one in front of it or go back and watch the one that was in front of behind or behind one of the other ones we cherry picked because it's they're always even if they're not good they're always rewarding because of the like time commitment plus the like the way to the gold baby so i i'm always excited for a a coc oco tc yeah coc sounds cooler though xvii <laughs> 17 so yeah clash champion 17 Music from this week's show is the theme from Halloween Havoc 1991. And Luger's still the champion, so we'll play his music, Overdrive, by DeWolf Music. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, just anything at all, please email us at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com. Or find us on Twitter at Wrestling Histo X. That's Wrestling H I S T O X. And we'll talk to you next week.